All right, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to have a... uh, Man, we're going to do our best to finish chapter 15 today. We're in this uh, part of 1 Corinthians, well, really the whole whole book, but there's so much in every verse that's just jam-packed in there. And it's hard to just, it's hard for me just to, you know, to... Uh, skim over, but that's really what we have to do sometimes is, um, otherwise we could spend a long time looking at, you know, this is the beauty of God's Word. I mean, God, God's Word has just what we need right there. We can just reach and get it, but yet God's Word also is so deep, it's, it's, it's fathomless, the things that God has put in His Word for us. And so, this is the beauty of studying the Scripture. This is why you can read a Scripture a uh, hundred times, and then the hundred and first time that you read it, God can just open your eyes and show you something that you never saw before. Because this is a reflection. It's communicating who God is. And God has no measurable width or depth or height. He is eternal and infinite. Amen? Father, so we ask that you would today, by your Spirit, open our hearts and our minds, reveal your truth to us, reveal the gospel to us, and let this gospel, the power of God unto salvation, Lord, let it change us and transform our hearts, God, we ask, and our minds, God, we ask, they be renewed and conformed to the very mind of Christ, to the very image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's uh, look here, 1 Corinthians 15, let's uh, begin in verse 48, and we're going to read 48 to the end of the chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 48, as was, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's very important. You should mark that in your Bible. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's important too. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible has put on incorruption And when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or hell, or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved... Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work, in the labor, in your labor, I'm sorry, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right, verse 48. 
As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. So we have the man of dust, we have the heavenly man. We have the man of earth, we have the Lord from heaven. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Christ. Now I want to say this, we talk about heavenly, earthly, we talk about spiritual and carnal. Sometimes we say spiritual and physical. I don't, I don't like that because that implies the, physic, the spiritual is not physical. Jesus in his resurrected body uh, was spiritual, but he was tangible and physical. So I like to not contrast sp uh, spiritual and physical. It's more spiritual and natural or spiritual and carnal or spiritual and temporal. Spiritual does not mean it's not related to or consisting of substance. This is why Thomas was able to put his hands in the wounds of Jesus, handle and feel his body, because there was real substance there in the risen, glorified body of Christ. So spiritual doesn't mean it doesn't have substance. We're not talking ghosts, see-through, ooh, I see a ghost, but he's, you know, there's nothing there. No, that's not what spiritual means. Spiritual means not relating to the flesh, or to flesh and blood in a way that we know and understand it. Not relating to the natural corruption and weakness of sinful flesh or things temporal. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a reason why this body must pass away. So the first Adam and all born of him in the flesh, that's all of us. Born from our mother's womb, we were born of Adam in our first birth. All that are of Adam, the first man Adam, all born of him in the flesh, have a natural body that will be sown in corruption. So when someone dies and they're buried, we sow that flesh and blood body into the ground. It's sown in corruption. What does that mean? It's going to decay. It's going to just be undone. Because it's corrupt. The second Adam, that's Jesus, and all born again of him in the spirit, have a spiritual body that will be raised in incorruption. You and I are spiritual right now because we are in Christ. But you and I don't have a spiritual body yet. We have the promise, the guarantee, the assurance that one day we will. Either our body's going to get sown into the ground and one day be raised up, or we're going to see a little bit later on that perhaps if we're still alive at the return of Jesus in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. But one way or another, this flesh and blood body that you possess right now is going to pass away. And what we have in Christ is an incorruptible spiritual body. And this is the eternal reality of the heavenly man. So let's talk just a moment about the heavenly man. Who is the heavenly man? Look at verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly man. This is Christ, the Lord from heaven, now resurrected and glorified, ruling and reigning over all. You do realize that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now over all. Satan is not ruling 
anything. He has been cast out. He has been judged. He has been defeated. Is he still around? Yes, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But for the believer, he may have a loud roar, but he doesn't have any bite left. Does that mean God still doesn't allow him to roam around and God doesn't use him anymore? No, God allows him to roam around and yes, God still uses him like he always has. Satan is a created being. He does not rule over. He is not apart from, separated from God in the sense that he's out of God's control. There is not anything out of God's control. Otherwise, God is not God. You guys realize that, right? He has been defeated. Our foe has been defeated. By who? By this heavenly man, Jesus Christ, who is ruling and reigning over all. Who is, as Ephesians 1.23 says, he is filling all in all. He is filling all in all. He is filling all in all. In you. If you are in Christ, Christ has filled you. And Christ in you is filling all. His image is being multiplied. His image is filling the created order. So much so that the prophet said, there's coming a day when the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. This Christ, this heavenly man, is the fullness. Colossians 1.19 and 2.9 says, It pleased God that in him should be the fullness. Where is the fullness? It's in Christ. Where is Christ? Hopefully he's in you and you're in him. That means the fullness is in you. Our problem is not that we're, our, our tanks aren't full. Our problem is we don't comprehend the fullness that is Christ who dwells in us and is the hope of glory. So this heavenly man is not merely a significant religious or moral figure that's made a great impact on human history. His significance is not found in his impact on human history. Though we, we date our calendars by him, though so much that we know and that we don't know unknown to us, has been changed and influenced by him. This is not the significance of who Christ is. Some may ask, well, what if Jesus had made no impact on human history? Here's the reality. Jesus could not have done anything but make an impact on human history because of who he is. But he's not significant because of that. His significance is is because of who he is. Who is he? The Bible says he is the heavenly man. He is the man who not only fills the heavens, but is the very creator of those heavens, and and the very creator of all that is outside of himself. All that is outside of God has been created by, for, and through this heavenly man. And where does this heavenly man 
make his dwelling place now. The Bible says he makes it in you if you are his. The Bible says that he has taken your deadness and made you a living stone. And he is building you up into a holy habitation of God in the spirit. The Bible says this is the mystery that the rulers of this world, the powers and the principalities who from the very beginning have been trying to bring about the demise, the destruction of the promised seed. Had they known what would the, co- the cross would actually accomplish, Paul says they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Had Satan known that God's plan all along was Christ in you, the hope of glory. That the heavenly man was not going to just dwell in the heavenlies, but the heavenly man was going to come and make his abode, his home in you. And you would become the temple of God. You would become the dwelling place that through you, the body of Christ, Christ the head over the body would fill all in all. God has made you a part of that. Now sitting right here in this building, listening to the building creak as the wind blows, and thinking about all the things that you have going on in your life, you might not feel very heavenly right now. You might not feel very overcoming right now as you just can so easily flip that switch and begin to meditate on all the worries and all the cares that the world brings with it. It doesn't make you feel very heavenly, does it? But here's, the, here's what we have to do, church. Here's what the Bible instructs us to do. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We're not heavenly because we feel heavenly. We're not heavenly because our lives are heavenly and problem-free and care-free and we don't have a worry in the world. That doesn't make us heavenly. That has nothing to do with being heavenly. As a matter of fact, God, the Bible teaches us that God allows tribulation to come to us because that tribulation is working in us. A more eternal weight of glory. That tribulation is working in us patience, endurance. And that patience and endurance is producing character in us. And that character is producing hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his spirit. And this is what the Bible teaches us. And that is true for us because we have become partakers of this heavenly man. Christ who is the heavenly man in person. Whose significance can't be measured by man or against any accomplishment of man. He is to be worshipped. He is to be revered. He is to be feared. He is the heavenly man. He is the creator. His grace-filled reality and presence in this created order should humble us to the very lowest place.
the reality that this heavenly man, this creator of heaven and earth, who had no need outside of himself. Listen, this is just sheer, almost, I, I could just, I'll just call it heresy to even say that God had to create man because he was lonely. No, God was not lonely. God had no need outside of himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had no need outside of themselves. The reason God created man was because he is graceful. Because God chose to make man a part of himself. And here we sit inside this room. And the Lord of glory, the heavenly man, before time began, made a decision, purposed eternally, that he would make his dwelling place in you. That he would take you from your deadness and he would save you and he would raise you and he would fill you with his life and he would make you his dwelling place. That he would build you into a holy temple, eternal in the heavens. God has done this. But yet, if we just look at each other from the outside, there doesn't seem to be anything significant going on. But yet, in the spiritual, in the eternal, in the spiritual and eternal counsels of God, there is so much going on in you right now, around you right now. It would blow your mind if you could see it, if you could know it. God says, don't go by what you see. Go by what I'm declaring to you in my word. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Something is happening. So, well, I can't feel it, Pastor. Well, that's your problem. Stop walking by your feelings. I can't see it. Well, that's your problem. Stop trying to see with natural eyes because you can't see it with natural eyes. And you sure can't understand it with a natural brain and a natural mind. Christ is the heavenly man in person. His grace humbles us, but it also lifts us and seats us in the heavenly places in Christ. This is what Ephesians 2, 6 says. He raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. When did he do that? He has already done that. Even though you're sitting in Christ Fellowship Church, you are seated in heavenly places right now in Christ He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. And the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. And until man is born of the Spirit, all of these things are contrary to us. Are you born of the Spirit? So Christ is the heavenly man in person. The church is the heavenly man in his corporate expression. So Peter says, you have become partakers of his divine nature. If Christ is a heavenly man, you also are heavenly. And this is what 
Go back to our scripture here. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. By grace, through the new birth from above, God gives us his spirit and makes us partakers of his life now and eternally. And by making us partakers of his divine nature, Christ has joined us to himself in life and has made us the corporate expression of the heavenly man. The work is this. Listen, church. The earthly must go so that only the heavenly remains. The earthly must go so that only the heavenly remains. The trials, the tribulations, the things you're walking through, the things you're having to endure, the problems, the circumstances that, that, that are bringing you to wit's end, these are the very things that God is using to get the earthly out of you. And the more you resist the earthly being done away with, the more the work the Spirit will do. But know this, when all is said and done, all that is not of Christ must go. It is excluded. The only thing that is included eternally is that which is of Christ. The work of the Spirit in our lives here on this earth is this working out of our salvation. What is that? That means God is working out of us everything that is of the earth, that is not of Christ. And he is producing in us and including in us all that is of Christ. Sometimes that's a very joyous process. Sometimes... That's a very painful process. I could be wrong, but I think it's probably more painful than joyful most of the time. Because there's something of my sinful flesh and my sin nature and my unrenewed mind that just wants to hold on to all of those things that are not of Christ. I want to listen to the world. I, I, I think the world's got really good advice. So I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to hear what Dr. Phil and Oprah have to say. And this is how I'm going to do my life. I'm going to read that book by this guy and that guy and that gal and that gal. And, and they're going to give me really good advice on what I need to do about my situation. And, and what we do is we fill our lives with earthly things that are contrary to Christ. We do it constantly. You do it. You can't help but do it as we watch TV and we listen to what the world is just pumping into us all the time. This is why we need to guard the gates, our eye gate, our ear gate. Now, I'm not legalistic, okay, about what I watch and what I listen to. But you should be discerning. You don't have to be legalistic about what you watch and listen to, but you should be discerning about what you watch and listen to. Because there are some things that we can watch and listen to that are just filling us with everything that is contrary to Christ. And when you put it in, that just means that's more that the Spirit of God is going to have to work out of you. So be discerning. Because you are a heavenly man. You are the heavenly man in corporate expression. All that is not of Christ must be excluded. So Christ is the heavenly man and by grace we shall also bear his image. By his spirit we are being conformed to his image. And one day that conforming will be consummated 
in the conforming of our bodies in the substance of the heavenly man. One day there's going to be a physical resurrection and your body sown in corruption is going to be raised in glory, in corruption. We have the promise of a physical resurrection with a glorified body one day because we have already been raised spiritually with Christ. Amen. So let's talk a little bit more about this heavenly man. Now I'm going to do this really quick. But let's go over to the book of John. I'm going to give you a, a good example of this. And I think this is why John includes this account in his gospel. You realize that John said at the end of his gospel that if everything Jesus would have said and done would have been recorded, the, the world couldn't contain it. And you realize that, for instance, in the Gospel of John, we have a very, very short, I mean, it's not even a Reader's Digest condensed version of what, of, of, of this aspect of Jesus' life. So John could have recorded all kinds of things, but there were only certain things recorded as the Spirit inspired him. So John chapter 3, verse 1, read with me. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's important. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom. So we've got, he can't see. And now we've got, he can't enter. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, verse 6, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said of him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So what do we see here with Jesus and Nicodemus? We see the earthly man and the heavenly man in contrast here. Nicodemus is the earthly man. Jesus is the heavenly man. And we see the earthly man is born of the flesh, born from below. The heavenly man is born of the Spirit, born from above. The earthly man cannot even see much less enter the kingdom of God. The heavenly man not only can see it, but he is in it and he is of it. The earthly man is born in the first birth. The heavenly man is born again. 
in a new birth of the Spirit. The earthly man is natural and carnal. He cannot believe or receive heavenly or spiritual things. You will not receive my witness. You cannot receive my witness. You cannot understand. You will not understand. The heavenly man is spiritual and he alone can discern spiritual things. So we see Nicodemus typifying this earthly man in need of spiritual regeneration. This is our condition, church. When we're born in our first birth, we are earthly men in need of regeneration. You have that friend or that family member or that coworker, and you think, what in the world is wrong with that person? I'll tell you what's probably wrong with them. They need regeneration is what's wrong with them. Man, that God just gets on my nerve constantly. I, what is wrong with him? He doesn't know Jesus. That's what's wrong with him. Have a little grace. God had some grace with you. Have some grace. So the earthly man can't see the kingdom. Why? Because he's spiritually blind. He can't enter the kingdom. Why? Because he's spiritually incapacitated. He's dead. Dead men can't do much, right? They just kind of lay there, don't they? Yeah. He doesn't receive the witness of Jesus. He doesn't believe even the earthly things. And he will not believe spiritual things. He must be born again of the Spirit. Because why? Because flesh will never be made spiritual. Flesh and spirit are two different things. They're of a different kind. You can't make your flesh spiritual. Parents, you're not going to make your kids spiritual by just making them come to church. You're not going to become spiritual by just making them come to church. But you might need to make them come to church. Just like you make your children obey when they're little. We have laws that say don't speed and we make people obey certain laws. Well, we shouldn't have to have law enforcement people out there holding a gun on us to make us obey. We should just know that we shouldn't speed, we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't do these things, right? We, we should know that. Well, if something happens on the inside of us, then we will know that and, and we will obey those things. Not because we're afraid of the system, but because we love God, Right? So sometimes, this is where we've got to have wisdom and discernment. This is the point of training our children. This is the point of being discipled. This isn't about children or adults. This is about human beings. We all need to be discipled. Jesus is training all of us. Jesus is correcting and disciplining all of us. We think that we're just going to do what we want to do. Listen, God in his spirit has a way of dealing with us. We just don't realize it, but he is dealing with us. Because he wants to get rid of the earthly. He wants the earthly man to go away. He doesn't want to, listen, he doesn't want to save the earthly man. He wants to kill the earthly man. He wants to raise up a heavenly man. You've got to understand this. Jesus is not interested in saving your earthly man. Jesus is only interested in crucifying your earthly man. He wants to raise up a heavenly man. That heavenly man didn't come from you. It, 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 you have nothing heavenly inside of you. That heavenly man came from heaven. It came from the Lord, the man 
The heavenly man, the Lord from heaven, that's where it comes from. He wants to get rid of the earthly man so that he can raise up a heavenly man. This is why he told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. The state you're in right now, you can't see the kingdom, much less enter it. Because you are blind and dead. You are totally and completely spiritually incapacitated. Your only hope is to be born again. We got to get rid of the old man and we got to raise up a new man, a heavenly man. Who is that heavenly man? Jesus is the heavenly man. He's the first fruits of his kind. Okay? So when he was raised, he was raised, the Bible says, as the first fruits, implying that there's more to come. So he's the first fruits of his kind who made a way for man's regeneration. So through the regeneration of the new birth to a heavenly man, this is what happens. Now when we're born again and we're regenerated, the earthly man has been crucified. The heavenly man has been raised up. Guess what? Now we can see the kingdom because Jesus has healed our blindness. Now we can enter the kingdom because Jesus has raised us up from the dead into the life of his kingdom. We can receive the witness of Christ because we have willing hearts, seeing eyes, and hearing ears. We can now believe and discern the things of the Spirit. Why? Because we are no longer earthly or carnal. We are now spiritual, born of the Spirit. We're raised with Christ, seated with Christ. We abide in Christ as members of the body, filled with his life. We are and we are being conformed to the image of the heavenly man. We are now the corporate expression of that heavenly man on earth and in heaven. Christ is the person of the heavenly man. We are his body and the corporate expression of that one new man Paul writes about in Ephesians 2 verse 15. You are heavenly if you are in Christ. Your earthly has been crucified. You've been raised a heavenly man with the life of Christ. This is why you should live like it. Because if that's your reality, if that's who you are, then that's what must be manifest. This is not a masquerade ball. We get really good, right? We really get really good at putting the spiritual costume on. And we walk around and we know how to speak with our spiritual accent, wearing our spiritual costume. And to the untrained, undiscerning eye, we look very spiritual. But God in his grace has a way of exposing us. And when we least expect it, praise God, for his grace. He will just yank off our costume. He'll just cause our accent and our language to falter. And we're there exposed for who we truly are. God doesn't do that for our harm. God does that for our good. Because he does not want us. Because you know what happens if you, you, know what happens if you live in that role long enough? This really happens to people. If you live in that role long enough... 
and you wear your spiritual costume and talk with your spiritual accent long enough, you know what happens, you start believing that's really who you are. You become self-deceived. And God loves us enough, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to let you be self-deceived. And it will come to a point to where God will say, if, if I have to expose you, I'll expose you. But I will not let you remain as you are. Man, that makes me think of Bob Sorge's video that we have got to watch. And Bob Sorge says, do you really want God to leave you alone? It was about Job. And the question at the end of the video is, is do you really want God to leave you alone? And the answer to that question is no. I, you really don't want God to leave you alone. You don't want God to let you be self-deceived. You don't want God to let you think everything's all right when it's really not. This is the importance of preaching and teaching the gospel. The gospel will not allow us to remain in that state. So Christ is the fullness who fills all. And Christ must fill all. That leaves no room for anything not of Christ. This is the work of the Spirit in and through all things. Listen to me, church. To remove from us all that is not Christ, the Spirit leads us through low and high places to a new and deeper knowledge of Christ, to a fresh seeing of Christ, so that a greater conformity to Christ in all aspects of our being will take place. This is the hard and the good work of the Spirit. Now I want you to look at this verse. He says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. For those in Christ, listen, let's go back and let's talk about what Paul is speaking of here. Why does he say flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom? He's talking about death and resurrection. So for those in Christ, death has no power over the heavenly man. We are partakers of the heavenly man, right? We will bear that image because we have already become partakers in Christ. So for the believer, physical death only releases us into our inheritance in the kingdom of God. Death is a servant that takes us to Jesus. I want you to understand that. Death is a servant that takes us to Jesus. The flesh is corruption. In Christ, the spirit is incorruption. It's not the flesh, but the spirit that shall inherit the incorruptible life and kingdom of God. Then Paul says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, should all, we shall all be changed. We shall not all sleep. Why does Paul use the word sleep? He also uses this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Sleep is used as a metaphor for those who have died in the faith. And we see this used in 1 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15, when Paul says, do not grieve in death as those who have no hope. He says, believer, don't be like those who grieve without any hope. Those who die in faith, those who have fallen asleep in faith have hope. Now think about this. 
Why does Paul use sleep as a metaphor? Well, the answer is this. Sleep like death is only a transition. Do you, do you ever think of sleep as just a transition? How many of you are going to go to sleep tonight? Okay. I hope, you know, sleep is good for you. You Unless you've got to work tonight or something. Unless you're working tonight or something, right? We're all planning on going to sleep tonight. Sleep is just a transition. Sleep is a transition from, from night to morning. It's a transition from one day to another day. Sleep is not permanent. Sleep is temporary. So sleep, like death, is only a transition. We wake from death like we wake from sleep. The death of the body is not a permanent state for the believer. Physical death is simply a transition. Like sleep is a transition from night to morning or from day to the next day, so is death. In Christ, we go from darkness to light. We go from one day to a new day, from an old creation to a new creation. Death is just a transition. When you are crucified with Christ, believer, if you're a believer, you have been crucified with Christ. Whether you realize it or not, you've been killed. You've been dead. You've been made dead by being crucified with Christ. Now, physically, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about a physical death here. I'm talking there's a part of you, the earthly man was put away. He was crucified. He really died. This is why in Romans 6, Paul is so adamant. And and with the strongest way possible for him to write this with written language. In in Romans 6, he says, reckon yourself indeed dead to sin. He says, I can't tell you, I can't make you understand clearly enough that you have truly been made dead to sin. You have truly been crucified with Christ. And if you have truly been crucified with Christ, you have truly been raised in the life of this heavenly man. So we have experienced, if you're a believer, you have already experienced a death and a resurrection. The physical one you got waiting is just like the cherry on top to me. It's the consummation of, of everything that's already begun. And so sleep is just, or death is just this transition. And he says, this is a mystery. I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Well, we've been changed and we're being changed and we will be changed. Did you get that? We have been changed if you've been born again. We are being changed, your mind, through the renewing of your mind, this ongoing process we call sanctification. And you will be changed one day. One day, this corruption, this mortal will put on immortality. So we've been changed in our spirit, in the new birth. We're being changed in our soul, in our mind, in our will, in our emotions by the renewing of our mind and the work of conforming us to the image of Christ that's ongoing. And we will be changed in our body when one day this corruption puts on incorruption, when we experience a physical resurrection. How will this happen? Paul says it's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That, that means it's going to happen pretty quick, okay? When will this happen? At the last trumpet. We shall be changed at the return of Jesus. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's go there real quick. Then we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Oh, let's look at verses. 
let's look at verse 16 and 17. First Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, the heavenly man, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. These are the people sleeping. Their bodies are asleep in the earth. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And when that happens, we'll meet the Lord in the air and we'll always be with the Lord, ruling and reigning on this new recreated earth. Well, what are the implications of the resurrection? Here are the implications. The dead will be raised incorruptible. That's good news. We shall be changed, spirit, soul, and body. That's good news. Corruption and mortality shall be put away forever. No more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sadness. That's good news. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's good news. The sting of death is no more. Sin is overcome. That's good news. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. The sting of death is sin. Why do we fear death? I'll tell you why. Because of sin. Sin makes us fear death. Sin is the reason we fear death. If we had no doubt, no question whatsoever of God's perfect love, his perfect plan, his perfect redemption of all our sin, all our faults, and all of our failures, you ever wonder how could God ever, how is God ever going to look past? How is God not going to just, listen, it's because of sin that we have an imperfect understanding of God's perfect love. Otherwise, we would not fear the transition from this earthly realm into the heavenly realm. Why is there such a sting associated with death? The answer, again, is sin. If we know that we die in faith, or when we die in faith, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If we knew that, if we truly believe that, when we make the transition from death to life eternal in the presence of Jesus, death wouldn't hold the sting that it holds. When we make the transition from earth to heaven, when we're released from all pain, all suffering, all corruption of this temporal realm, we would still grieve the separation we experience with our loved ones, But we would not grieve without hope and the sting of death would not be nearly as severe. There would be no sting. We could see that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, we would not fear, but we would hope. This is what the scripture tells us. To be absent from the bodies, to be present 
with the Lord that gives us hope. It gives us reason not only to hope, but gives us every reason to not fear death. Paul writes, the strength of sin is the law. The law was never given to make us righteous. The law was given to reveal our sinfulness. Romans 4.15, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. God brought the law to reveal, to magnify our transgression. Why would God do something like that? If he'd have just never given us any law, if he'd have just never said, don't eat from that tree, we wouldn't have a problem today. But God did that on purpose. God's eternal plan and purpose was always that we would trust in the life and the righteousness of another. The law reveals to us that we cannot attain to the life and the righteousness that God demands. Only in Christ can we find the life and righteousness that God demands. So we must trust in someone other than ourselves. We must trust in the heavenly man. We must trust in Christ. And so Paul writes in Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Therefore we can say with the Apostle Paul and all the saints, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll quote you the last two verses of this chapter. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You may feel like what you're doing is not accomplishing anything. You may feel like you're trusting in vain, you're believing in vain. I'm serving God in vain because it seems like nothing is working for me. Your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Trust Him. Look to Him. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him correct you. Let Him discipline you. Let Him mold you and shape you, even though it may be a painful process. It's not void of joy. There is joy. But sometimes God has to get us through those painful spots to get us to the joy that's awaiting. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible says Jesus endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Christ is your joy. Can you see Christ? This is why the writer of Hebrews says, Looking unto Jesus. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is our joy. This life, though it has much joy, great joy, it also has much sorrow, great sorrow, trial and tribulation. Ultimately, this is not our ultimate joy. Jesus is our ultimate joy. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Seek Jesus. Seek the face of Christ. He is our sure and only hope. Pray that God would change you.
As you pray for others to change, pray that God would change you. As I pray for things to change and people to change, I find that my constant prayer seems to be, God, I need you to change me. The longer I live and the longer I have served Christ, the more acutely aware of my sinfulness and my shortcomings. I, I can see them more clearly now than ever before. And I am truly astounded that God would save me. Pray that God would change you. Pray that God would change me. Pray that God would change those around you. Pray that he would do a work in all of our hearts in conforming us, molding us, and shaping us into his image. That he would be glorified in his church. That means not only corporately, but in all of us personally. Amen? Let's all stand. Remember that scripture I read to you out of John? Jesus says to Nicodemus, one born like the spirits, like the wind blowing. Now, I don't know if any of you can remember your natural birth. I don't remember mine. But I, I can tell you the day it happened and the time it happened. And I know the hospital it happened in. And, and I know the womb I came out of, right? But now my spiritual birth's a little bit different. Oh. Kind of hard to nail that down. Now, I, I used to think I could nail it right down, but I realize now that year or more that I was, that I said God was dealing with me. How did I even know God was dealing with me? I spent most of my life up to that point not even thinking about God. Then all of a sudden, I'm conscious of God. I'm conscious of my sin. I'm conscious of the reality that God wants me to basically die and cease so that he can save me and raise me up. I came to realize that God did a work in me spiritually long before I actually said, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I became conscious of something. I saw something. I perceived something that I had no, I wasn't looking for before. I didn't have any way to see it. So I came to realize that my new birth was kind of like the wind. I, I, I saw the effects of it, but I really can't tell you where it came from or exactly when, when it started. That's what Jesus was saying. That's the way those who are born of the Spirit. I mean, one day, you're just all of a sudden, you, you just realize, hey man, God's dealing with me. Something's going on here. I pray that all of you have experienced the new birth. And even if you have all experienced the new birth, we all need to be being changed constantly. So I'm... I want us to pray right now. And if you're here and you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I don't know if I've ever truly been born again. Or if you're here and you say, you know, I've lived almost my whole life for Jesus. I know I'm safe and secure and on my way to heaven. Whatever condition you find yourself, whether you need a new birth or whether you are in the new birth, we all need to be changed. And the new birth is just a beginning. It's not an end. So Father, I pray right now for each one of us in this room. 
Lord, there may be those here who have never experienced a new birth in Jesus Christ. Who are living their lives as an earthly man. They can't see and they have no hope of entering the kingdom of God as an earthly man. Father, I pray that you would cause that earthly man to cease and that they would be raised up a heavenly man. That they would be born again in the birth from above by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And at any moment, at any time, in any place, any location, in any circumstance, God, you can save us. It doesn't have to be in a church on a Sunday morning. But Lord, we are in church and it is a Sunday morning. If there are any here that have never been born again, I pray God that they would be. and That you would reveal to their hearts, God, their need for a Savior, their need for a life and a righteousness other than their own. And that the only way to gain that is Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, they would call out to you from a heart of faith, Lord Jesus, save me. And your promise is, God, when we call out to you from a heart of faith, you will save us. Lord, for those who are saved, who have been born again, Lord, we are daily in need of transformation Daily in need of change. Lord, our minds need to change. Our minds need to be renewed. Lord, the world is pressing on us, pouring into us. And it's too easy for us to believe worldly things. It's too easy for us to believe natural things and to revert back to the natural man. And Father, I pray that you would break those patterns in our life. I pray, God, that you would break those things in our life. That, Lord, we wouldn't trust. We wouldn't lean on our own understanding, but we would trust in you. That, Lord, we would daily ask for you to change us, transform us. Lord, break our hearts. Break us down, God. The worldliness and the hardness that the world brings, break that down in us, God. Mold us and shape us. Give us warm hearts. Make us pliable, God, that you would mold and shape us and conform us to the image of the Son of God. We ask that you would do that by your spirit, God. We ask, Lord, that we would never be afraid of that process. That, Lord, even when we can't see the end, even when we don't know what that may mean or the implications of that could be hard and difficult, that, God, we would trust you and not fear, but trust in our loving and faithful Savior, that the plans that you have for us are good for peace and not for evil to give us a good future and a good hope as you are conforming us to the image of the Son of God. Even to a heavenly man. We ask this, God, in the name of your dear Son, Jesus. We ask that you would do it, God, for your glory, world without end. And all God's people said, come on church, let heaven hear you. All God's people said, amen, Amen. so be it.